Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to this pre-recorded message from the Neighborhood Church. My family and I took some time off this week, so I'm recording this in advance so we can have a little bit of time to catch our breath. So in just a few moments, I want you to join me in Psalm 131. It's an ancient poem that gives us an image and an invitation to quiet confidence in God. So I want you to know right now that this message is not just for you or us. It is for me. I need this reminder. Because if you're anything like me, the last several months have been anything but quiet. The more we look at social media and the news, the more we wonder and worry and talk about all of this pandemic. It's been anything but quiet in my life. And also, if you're anything like me, the last several months have really, we've had a shortage of confidence. Confidence in when this is going to settle down, when we can return back to normal, or if we can return back to normal anytime soon. If you're anything like me, quiet confidence is in short supply. But this ancient poem gives us an image and an invitation to just that, quiet confidence in God. So stick with us for the next few moments as we look at Psalm 131. Let's look there now. Join me in reading this ancient poem. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. What an image and invitation to quiet confidence in God. But before we talk about it, let's pray about it. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Just like this poem, take a deep breath. Try to calm yourself, content yourself. And let's be present to God's presence together. Merciful God, we come before you, maybe for the first time this day, to catch our breath, to turn our eyes and attention to you. So we ask, Lord, that the peace of Christ that transcends all understanding would guard our hearts and our minds, that your peace would wash over us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, that we would know that you are with us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, and you are inviting us into trust and quiet confidence with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon preached Psalm 131 many, many years ago, and he said that this is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. And isn't that true? When we're talking about quiet confidence, that's something that takes a lifetime. But what's fascinating is the image the psalmist gives us is one of a child, a small child. But the invitation is to put our hope and our trust in quiet confidence in God. But it all starts with a reality check. The reality check is right there in verse 1. Do you see that? 
Let me give you the Texan translation of what we just read, Psalm 131, verse 1. Here's the Texan translation. I ain't too big for my britches, and I'm staying in my lane. Okay, that's effectively what the psalmist is saying here. I'm not going to worry about all the things that are beyond my control. I ain't too big for my britches, and I'm going to stay in my lane. Let me tell you, this is not about low self-esteem. Oh, I just can't understand it all. I'm no good. No, no, no. This is not about low self-esteem. It is about a realistic view of yourself. This is what I mean where this psalm starts with the reality check. It's a realistic view that you just can't have it all figured out and you just can't do everything. I hate to break it to you, but that's the reality. Now, it's really interesting to recognize pride or arrogance or this sense that I've got it all figured out, I've got it all under control. It's really hard to recognize that kind of pride as a sin. Why? Because in our culture, it's a virtue. Now, you see this in subtle ways and not so subtle ways, but it might kind of sound like this. I know more than that person. I'm known more than you or you or you. I own more or even I am more. This is a virtue. This gets elevated in our American culture, does it not? We love to elevate the people that are bombastic and proud. And what's fascinating is this psalm begins with, actually, reality check. Man, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have everything under my control. This is a realistic view of self because that arrogance that says, I know more, I'm known more, I own more, I am, no, am more, is really self-deception. You're going to find out sooner or later that you don't have it all together. For many of us, this pandemic, this quarantine has swept the rug out from under us and we've got to reckon that we don't have it all figured out and that we are not in control. This ancient poem starts with this reality check, realistic view of self that says, look, I ain't too big for my britches and I'm staying in my lane. You might have noticed that the superscription in your Bibles says a song of ascents of David. Now, it's notoriously difficult to really pin down who wrote what psalm, but we can tell by this superscription that it's attributed to David, and that would be that David, King David, the David that's done a lot of great things and has a lot of reasons to be boastful and proud. But instead, what we have here is a person that has a realistic view of self that does not see himself as ultimate, but penultimate. He's not quite at the top. He's okay with saying, I ain't too big for my britches, and I'm going to stay in my lane. And it's that posture that our world needs more of. And you can't get to that image of weaned contentment or the invitation to put your hope in God without getting through this verse 1, the reality check. 
So now let's move on to the image of quiet confidence. Now, Amy and I remember the very first night that we brought Nora home from the hospital. She's six years old now. She is a joy and she keeps us on our toes and she's loads of fun. But that first night, we thought we were in for it because the first night we get home, she starts crying. And I mean scream crying. The kind of newborn infant, fix it, help me, I don't know what's going on kind of cry. And a lot of times new parents will tell you, oh man, he cried all night. Oh man, she cried nonstop. And you're like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they must have cried a lot. Friends, when I tell you that Nora cried all night, I mean Nora cried all night. Amy and I were taking turns, holding her, rocking her, and sometimes the rocking was a full-bodied movement back and forth because we were just staring at each other saying, is this our life now? Is this, is this what it is? We had a two-year-old across the way trying to sleep. We just figured out how to parent that little thing in there. And we come home night one with a child that is screaming and will not stop. I guess we're never going to sleep again. And about 3 a.m., 4 a.m., the kind of looks that we're sharing with one another has moved from beyond, oh man, this is crazy, right, to this is it. This is it. We're never sleeping again. I guess you'll sleep one night and I'll sleep the next night and this is our life now. This is what it is. Y'all, she cried all night. Newborn, scream cried, fix it, all night. And what was fascinating was we were trying to feed her. We were trying to console her. And it wasn't until the very next day we go in for that immediate newborn doctor's appointment checkup that we realize that as much as Amy had been nursing, as great a job as she's been doing, we found out at the doctor's office that she was starving. She was not getting enough food. So no wonder she was screaming. No wonder she was crying. And it wasn't until we could help supplement, we could help get that girl filled up, fed up, that all of a sudden she began to settle down. And so did our blood pressure, and we were able to sleep, and it was glorious. So when we see this image of quiet confidence, when we read in verse 2 that I have calmed and quieted myself, you can just imagine that movement from chaos and screaming to a sigh of relief, and the totally different picture not of the full tilt, rocking, screaming, crying, but the child satisfied, comforted, and snoozing on her mother's shoulder. This is an image of a child that's contented, satisfied. That word for calmed means evened out and smooth. How many days have you felt evened out and smoothed. If you're like me, not a whole lot. But you see, there's this move here from I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm not going to be too big for my britches. 
that precedes the better move, verse 2, to the realization that I'm in your care. We go from, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm not going to have everything figured out. I'm not going to be in control of everything to, because I'm in your care. How many of you have seen a child get passed off to a stranger? Now, this stranger may be a family member that they'll come to know and love for the rest of their life. But in that immediate first meeting, you know, that baby is not calm and contented and careful. So it's not just that they're satisfied and they're filled up. There's got to be this intimacy and trust, the kind of intimacy and trust of a mother and child. How are you so calm, psalmist? How are you so calm when all of this chaos and craziness is all around us? I think it's that interplay between I'm in my lane and I'm in your care. It's like that famous poem in the 12-step circles, the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity, right? The peace, the evenness, the calm to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I think that child, the difference between um, going to somebody they don't trust, they don't know, they have an assurance that, okay, God, I know you, I trust you, I know that there are things beyond my control, but I know that there are some things that I can deal with and do. But the wisdom is knowing what I need to hold on to and what only you can hold on to. I'm going to stay in my lane and do what I can and let you do what I can't. And only from that intimacy, only from that trust, that quiet confidence that you've been there before when it's been crazy, so I can trust you to be here now. This is the movement. This is the image of that calmed, weaned, contented child. I'm staying in my lane. I'm in your care. And finally, it moves to a community invitation, a communal invitation to quiet confidence. It's like the psalmist says, this is no stranger. I'm at rest here in the tender care of a mother, of my father. I am rest assured, okay. You can experience this too. The invitation in verse 3, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. The invitation is to say, join me in relocating your life's center of gravity into God's arms. I'm not haughty. I'm not proud. I'm not too big for my britches. I know I won't have it all figured out, and I know that I'm not in control. So I can rest easy in the arms of my mother, my father, so why don't you come and join me by taking the center of gravity of your life out of your own hands and into the arms of our parent, God. I love this thought from the author Winifred Gallagher. She writes on behavioral science and researches the neuroscience and psychology and she wrote this book called Rapt, R-A-P-T. And the central premise of this book that I love so much, that I want to believe, right, is this. Your life consists in what 
you focus on. Your life consists in what you focus on. I think this kind of quiet confidence is only possible. This invitation to put your hope in God both now and forevermore is really an issue of focus. It's really an issue of attention. Do I want to focus on the unknown of the future or the known my God in the present? This is why I think Charles Spurgeon said it's the shortest psalm to read, but the longest to learn. Because you're going to spend your whole life working that gap between the fear and worry of the future and being present to God right here and now. But your life consists in what you focus on. And the final communal invitation is to focus on the God who is known, who is known as a parent, who longs to be gracious to you, who you can curl up and trust in Him. When the future is uncertain, you can focus your attention and time on Him. I think this is the reason why Paul in Philippians chapter 4 says, uh, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that's what I prayed for earlier, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a shift in focus, not on the unknowns, but on the known. On who God is, not knowing what the future holds. That's, I believe, how we can live into that image and that invitation of quiet confidence in God. Let me leave you with a couple practical reminders that are as much for me as they are for you. I think how I'm trying to live this out goes like this. Let go of what's too big for you. That's basically what the psalmist is getting at in verse 1. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm not too big for my britches. I can't single-handedly win the pandemic. I can't single-handedly do all the things my mind is spinning out telling me to do. There are some things that are just too big for this moment. So I need to let go of what's too big for us. The second thing is to own what I can. I think this is the difference. The psalmist says, I'm calmed and quieted myself. There is an invitation here to, um, to pray, to move, to love, to act. There is an invitation to own what you can own. And then I think the third thing is remember that the transformation from crying, screaming, hungry infant to a contented, weaned toddler, that takes time. And it's going to take a little more time in this season before things are back to normal, before everything is as it was. Now, that same little screaming infant, Nora, comes in on occasion. They're really good sleepers, and we're so grateful to God for that now. But sometimes Nora comes in, in the middle of the night, and she curls right up next to me. And I ask her, is it because you had a bad dream, or you just can't sleep? And if I'm lying, I'm dying? Oh, and this melts my heart. A lot of the times, she just woke up and wants to be near us. Oh, and it warms a father's heart. I think about this Father's Day, this past June, that Emma, 
was so excited. She woke up and she tiptoed into our room right here where we are. And at 6.15 in the morning, she tapped my shoulder Sunday, Father's Day. And she goes, good morning, Daddy. Happy Father's Day. And then she goes this, you can sleep in if you want. She woke me up at 6.15 to tell me I could sleep in. Oh, but it still warmed my heart. Why? Because my children came to me. It's going to take time to move from crying, screaming, freaking out to a contented, calm child that is coming willingly and finding calm and contentment in the father's arms. That's going to take some time. It's going to be even harder during this pandemic, during this season, with so much uncertainty about school and the fall and our work, our jobs. But it's the invitation to quiet confidence. Keep that image at the center. What would it look like for you this week to curl up into the arms of a father who's longing to welcome you into his arms? What does it look like for you this week? Quiet confidence in him. May you curl up into the arms of our Father and Mother God, who longs to be gracious to you, who longs to wrap you up in His tender care, who has poured out His love into our hearts through the Spirit of God. And it's through that Spirit that we're able to cry, Abba, Father, would you know our God as Father this week and have your quiet confidence in him. Blessings and go in peace.